Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. Who was Hermes Trismegistus, regarded by the Greeks and Egyptians as the inventor of language, writing, religion, music, astronomy, and wrestling? Who was Hermes Trismegistus, author of the 18 tractates that came to be called the Corpus Hermeticum, as well as the Alscipius and the Core Cosamu? Who was Hermes Trismegistus, who Cicero called the fifth and final of the five incarnations of the Greek god Hermes, and tutored the great Egyptian gods Isis and Osiris? Who donned the helm of Hades, a magical cap of invisibility, to slay the giant Hippolytus during the battle between the Titans and the gods? And who taught the Egyptians their burial rites? Today, on Occult Confessions, we go in search of the legend, the myth, the sage, Hermes, thrice great. My name is Rob C. Thompson. I am your supreme hierophant of the secret order of alchemical actors. I am joined by Olivia Litterall, the grand master of the order. Hello. What's up? Nothing much. I don't know. We're here. We're here. We're here. We, we brought Jacob today. We did. Hello, campers. This is Jacob Wheatley, Knight of the Dangling Serpent, also apparently your camp counselor for today's episode. Yep. Oh my god, are we going to braid those friendship bracelets and, <laughs> um, and I never those keychain things that. with the beads on them? If you were a bead girl... Can we oh do the rope scores? Yeah. Can I guess right? I'm, no, I'm not gonna lie. I never went to camp, so I really don't know what any of this is. You went to Jesus camp, didn't you, Olivia? Oh hell yeah, I did. What's the difference between Jesus camp and regular camp? Oh, oh, okay. a lot of Jesus. Yeah, and, and you have I will like say, I did do that Bible study every day. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of Jesus songs, but that part was cool. Oh yeah, I ran a lot of theater camp. We didn't do that. No Jesus. I didn't do that oddly enough jesus yeah. doesn't come up at theater mm. camp. maybe that's why i never went to <laughs> theater no camp. morality plays no medieval jesus medieval theater camp yes i i agree that yes. would be very oh. jesus-y yeah anyway nice <laughs> let's pledge it up just plow right on through here we go we the members of the members secret of order the of alchemical actors, actors do solemnly, solemnly commit, commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. All right, Olivia, open up those plugs. Plug, plug, plug. That was very special this time. I'm sorry. Hmm. It's okay. It's always special to me. Oh, wow. That's the nicest thing. That was really nice. <laughs> Isn't the nicest thing? Just That's the one way of you them. say that word. I'll put it on the list. So, uh, let's. Speaking of nice things, uh, I want to mention seize the nar glass. Seize the nar glass. That's that G N A R glass. Or are you so, saying that? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, so uh, currently, we we are in the process of receiving a piece of fan glass from Seize the Nar. Uh, he's sending us glass. 
occult oh, glass. Occult like, glass? Like a glass yeah. blowing situation? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Have a glass so when it blower? arrives, we will share pictures. And, and I just wanted to mention that. And so Whoa. if you're looking for some occulty glass, so cool. check out Seize the Nar glass. <gasps> I'm so excited. Yeah, and me you too. Didn't tell me this. I'm like genuinely like. I saved Thank it you for a surprise. For that yeah. gift, yeah. <laughs> you wanted an authentic <laughs> that picked reaction. Me up. Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's on the way. So we're looking forward to seeing that. I don't want to bring that up. All right, let's get to the patrons. Uh, we got a nice, healthy group, and uh, we are delighted. Ooh. We are we are within dollars of uh, being fully funded. Uh, and then once we hit that mark, uh, Olivia and I will begin concocting new schemes and plans, uh, which we pretty much have already done. <laughs> And we will share those with you, though. That's what will happen. (laughs) Yeah. They will no longer be in our heads. No, no. We will go ahead and put them out there. Yeah. So let's thank some folks. Bobby K. Also, David S. And Ronnie. And Zarek. Um, and here's another crew. So those are all brand new folks. We are delighted. Some, uh, some, uh, A lot of those folks are joining us top tier, which we are... Oh. Also delighted. We will we will accept you at any tier, though. We yes, we accept any. what tier you are able to tier into. <laughs> Whatever comes with you, right? That tier. Mm. It's for us. Uh, sp- speaking of tiers, though, uh, we've had uh, four folks who have bumped their tier: uh, oh. Luke K. and uh, Cat Daddy Welds, uh, who is our friend who's a welder, who had a different name, I think, when we first mentioned. <laughs> Uh, well, Cat that's Daddy. a great name. So. I yeah, that's adore really that. Great. Yeah. <laughs> now, Cat Daddy Wells, uh, Kaylee, um, and actually Zarek made a pledge and then bumped bumped wow. Zarek's oh. own pledge oh, right God. away. Wow! <laughs> yes. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> Um, so a lot of these folks uh, wrote in messages uh, just that they had, I, I hadn't intended for this to happen and I feel a little bit bad, uh, but it is true that Patreon, uh, through no fault of Patreon's own, but you know because of state laws or whatever, has started to deduct taxes from patron bent, uh, uh, contributions. And uh, these folks felt like they wanted to, I guess, give a little extra <laughs> to make up for the, the tax difference because it comes out of our side. Um, which is very nice, very nice thought. So um, I, I guess I apologize for sounding needy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I really appreciate the uh, the love. Um, it, it means a lot. We've been feeling a lot of love lately, and we'll get to yeah. that at the end of the episode in order of confessors as well. Uh, but uh, it's it's I, I'm feeling really good about the podcast, uh, and it's because of the community's just you know embrace lately. I've, I've been feeling just a lot of love from 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 y'all. So. Thank we you. Thank like, you. That was so sweet. Yeah, we went from like no occult fam to so many people. Right. So how many. did we ever get by without an occult fam? It was just we did Like you and me in in your office mostly, right? <laughs> <laughs> and a couple other people would come in sometimes and sit on the floor, and that was it. Yeah, this is better. Yeah. Now everyone is listening, not just the people in your office. Just like, leave that office in the yeah. past, man. <laughs> well, I still need it. I got it. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah, you don't need kinda. it. Okay. Okay. No one's allowed to come in now. Yeah, I, I can't even get in without permission from security because of COVID. Uh, anyway, Olivia, close up those plugs. Plug, plug, plug. That's all it. Right. That's all, all I right. got. I think it matched the beginning, though. Yeah, I, I thought. You know. <laughs> The name Trismegistus means thrice great. Today, most historians who concern themselves with Hermes 
they uh, tend to believe that he was mostly, if not entirely, a legend. The various writings attributed to Hermes uh, were pseudographia. There's your word for the day. Pseudographia. Never Nobody wants to her. say that with me. Pseudographia. I stutter sometimes, and I'm kind of afraid to say it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it starts with that hard S. So, uh, pseudographia means works not written by the name they are ascribed to. So, someone has given them a false name. It's not quite the same as oh. a pseudonym, where you, you know, you intentionally give yourself a false name. You don't. But this is pseudographia is when you try to get someone to believe someone else has written this. So, any Hermes Trismegistus text was written by no such person because there is no such person, but it's not an intentional pseudonym of a single person. It's a pseudographia because it's been applied to multiple different works by authors who really want you to believe that this Hermes Trismegistus wrote them. You see the difference? Yeah. So, uh, third century Syrian Neoplatonist Iamblucus... See, I acted like he was going to have a second name, but that's the whole thing. It's Greek. Iamblucus... He claimed that the texts were written by the Egyptians and translated by Greek philosophers. The Egyptians, he said, traced all of their knowledge back to a mythical figure called Hermes Trismegistus. And so it could be said that their writing was the work of this legendary originator, all of their writing in a certain way. But its translation through the Greeks made it more than its source. So we've got this ancient Egyptian source, and the Greeks conquer Egypt, and then they translate it. But in translating it, they add their own Greek flavor to it. So what we end up with is a product that's both the best of both worlds, both Egyptian and Greek in style and substance. Hermes Trismegistus is often described as a blend of the gods Toth and Hermes, Toth being on the Egyptian side and Hermes on the Greek side. You guys know anything about these characters? <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was not my I don't response. know if that was a nope. <laughs> so, so no, then. Uh, that's all right. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Toth was originally the Egyptian moon god, but the prominence of the... You're a witchy person, Olivia. Shouldn't you be No, I do know. Gods? I just was too busy coughing. coughing. I'm sorry. Yeah, so. <laughs> I do. I Yeah, I actually... Almost bought a Toth statue once, uh, like years ago, but then I is didn't. it Toth? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, right? What is no, it? I don't right? know. You don't, I don't know any pronunciations. I just make them up as I go with T H O T H, right? No, it's it's T O T H, but I, I think you can shove the H. It's, it's also an ancient spelling, so there's a lot oh, of variation. You're right. I, I, yeah, I guess yeah. I've just read with a yeah, with an H. So, is your end, personal but... preference? Well, I mean, I really don't bring them up very often. I'm gonna like keep I calling said, him I can't even remember what his head looks like. Is he? <laughs> no. Never mind. <laughs> I can't remember. You're going to tell is me. It, what is, is it? it? <laughs> I'm going to get... Is, is ibis-headed Toth. Okay. Right. He's a bird, right? Birdman. <laughs> okay, I mean, there's several different birds in the Pantheon, but I was anyway. going to name a bird, but I, it was not going to be that one. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's a distinctly Nile bird. Cool. Okay, so the prominence of the moon in astrology, astronomy, and ritual in general elevated Toth's role from just, you know, moon god to patron of wisdom, magic, and measurement. Wow. 
He, so if your penis is too small, you know who to blame. Okay, he well, was, all right. Uh, <laughs> there we go. We said it here, apparently. I, uh, uh, I didn't know that was our stance officially, but... It's the ruler's fault. No, 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 no. It's, it's, okay. Don't blame Toth. It's not Toth's fault. Everyone's going to be cursing him. And... He was regarded as the inventor of the 365-day calendar and hieroglyphs, serving as the scribe of the underworld, and he was worshipped by Egyptian scribes in this world as their patron. He gave Isis, speaking of which, the magical words to resurrect Osiris after she'd assembled his dismembered body, plus a penis. She didn't find that. Remember, she had to like get a golden one. When the rival god Set plucked out Horus's eye, their kid, Toth counseled Horus on how to get his eye back. Toth was responsible for knowing the proper order of the burial rite, also for conducting the dead into the presence of the gods. A cult of Toth rose to prominence in the city of Hermopolis Magna, which was sort of a a city that was both Greek and Egyptian. Uh, And a million ibis were mummified and buried in the gods' honor. Think about that. A million million? of these birds. Yes, They killed a million just for this purpose? I mean, we got to, it's just an ancient thing, right? So we got to, like, maybe they exaggerated that number a little bit, but well, because you said before that a bunch was only seven. So I'm not really <laughs> sure. I'm, I tell you what, I am still hung up on that to this day. <laughs> Why? I don't know because it's just, never mind. <laughs> Hermopolis. As I mentioned, so we just mummified a million ibis, which, as Jacob points out, probably means like eight. (laughs) Hermopolis sits on the border between Upper and Lower Egypt. After Alexander's conquest of Egypt, the Greeks gave the city the name Hermopolis, meaning city of Hermes, because they identified Toth with Hermes. So the Greeks sort of looked at the Egyptian pantheon and said, ah, Toth, yeah, we know him. We call him Hermes. Oh, cool. Incidentally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was nice of them. Hermopolis was also the place where Jesus and his family were supposed to have stayed during their possibly apocryphal sojourn in Egypt. Those who believe Jesus received any training as a sorcerer or magician believe it probably happened in Egypt. And if it happened in Egypt, it happened here in this city, the city of Hermes. So the intercultural overlaps of the city suggest also the overlap of Toth, Hermes, and finally, Hermes Trismegistus. Hermes had a lot in common with Toth, again, going back to the Greeks. He was a patron of shepherds, also gymnastics and oratory, which links up with Toth's connections to language and wrestling. As the messenger god, somewhat akin to Toth's role as scribe, Hermes was also a patron of merchants and thieves. In mythology, Hermes conducted the dead into the underworld. Sound familiar? Toth knew all about the underworld rites and was, in fact, in charge of them. Hermes' Hades helmet concealed him, and he gave Odysseus a magical herb to protect him against Circe's power. So both of these are very occulty gods, of the gods. They're bestowing occult power and secrets to humanity. 
The writing most closely associated with Hermes, the Corpus Hermeticum, was composed between the 1st century BCE and the 4th century CE. When exactly, it's hard to say. Herodotus identified Hermes with Toth in the 5th century BCE, and there are mentions of Hermes as a cultural founder in the 1st century BCE, but the actual name Hermes Trismegistus didn't emerge until the 2nd century CE in the uh, the work of Athenagoras of Athens. Did you follow all that? Yes. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what was her name? What did you say? Uh, Athenagoras? Is that what we're talking about? I'm talking about all the dates. We're sort of bouncing back and forth. Yeah, you definitely lost me somewhere in there, but... So the Corpus Hermeticum, which is the major text associated with Hermes, there's a lot of texts associated with Hermes, but this is like the major central philosophical text. This could have been written any time in about 500 years, which overlapped the year zero, 400 of those years being on our side of the divide. You got me? Is Mm -hmm. this the one that you said is the, in the, no, never mind. Never mind. Is this the Nag Hammadi thing? No. It's going to come. Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Keep your socks on. (laughs) Just you wait. (laughs) I'm sorry. Fragments of hermetic texts appear in papyri, papyri, dating to the 2nd century BCE. In 1945, a portion of the Corpus Hermeticum dating to the 4th century was found in, here it comes, Olivia, you just had to keep your socks on for a hot second, the Nag Hammadi. Oh. Yeah, Yeah, that happened. So uh, the Nag Hammadi Library was a collection of Christian and Gnostic texts, Olivia's way into those Gnostic texts, and those were discovered in Egypt. So among those was some of Hermes Corpus Hermeticum. So because that dates to the second century BCE, we can guess that the Corpus Hermeticum was kicking around as early as that. Cool. Cool. I feel validated. (laughs) Hermes' greatest influence on the Western world happened during the Renaissance, when Cosimo de' Medici commissioned Marsilio Ficino to translate the Corpus Hermeticum into Latin in the year 1463. So, great big jump in time. Uh, so, he's he's got a, a presence in the ancient world, in ancient Greece and, and uh, ancient Rome, but we really get excited about the Corpus Hermeticum and a lot of these hermetic texts in the Renaissance. And that's why we're talking about them now is that these Renaissance occultists got jazzed about him and pulled him into the present age. This is not, you know, that's special. kind of like humanist right? Would it be? Cause he's kind of like Greekish sort of. Do you know what yes, I'm saying? I mean, it- yeah, so it is a general thing that's happening in the Renaissance. Hermes, I mean, this is just one of the many things that are being recovered from the ancient world. There was this ideology through the dark in the Middle Ages that said that ancient texts were pagan, and so the knowledge was invalid, and we looked past them. But when we moved into the Renaissance and we sort of started to get over that way of thinking, we went back and recovered all of these pagan philosophies and texts and sources. In fact, we often, and this wasn't necessarily the case with Hermes, but we talked about this with the Emerald Tablet. This was often happening through Islam because Islam did not have this moment where they rejected Greek, uh, ancient Greek text. In fact, they kept it. And a lot of Muslim philosophers commented on Aristotle and, and sort of carried that philosophy forward. So we went to the Muslims because they had kept the tradition alive, whereas we had abandoned it. 
during our middle medieval period. Huh. Fun facts. Mm. According to Ficino, the great sage Hermes Trismegistus was born during the time of Moses. So, I don't know when wow, that that's... time was. I feel like we argue a lot about when that time actually <laughs> was. <laughs> I was but it was say, that time. <laughs> I can tell you like around the time that they taught us when I was in Christian school, but what's the time? I well they said it was about 2 3 3000 BC maybe 3000 years before 0 yes or yeah. 1 before the yeah. year 1 well because back then they taught us that it was only on like a 8000 year like time frame like with the earth existence mm-hmm. is 8000 years old okay yeah fair enough I mean, we're not shocked by that. That's not news. We're not going to get all wound up about it. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, I'm okay. mad. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think he's associated with, like, like he could have possibly lived during the reign of Akhenaten. And there's mm-hmm. all sorts of different theories about when Moses was around. We, we don't know for sure. Um, anyway. But our, our friend Ficino says it was just like Moses time, whenever that was. That's when Hermes was around. So as a king of Egypt, he introduced writing and law, also theology, to his people. Uh, So Hermes was also a priest who had been drafted to the priesthood from the ranks of the philosophers. So step one, he's a philosopher. Then the priests are like, why don't you join us? And he's like, okay, cool. Uh, And then last step, he's drafted to become a king from the priests, top of the pyramid. Hmm. See, he's made this progression. Philosophers on the bottom. I, I take offense to that a little bit, but uh, I understand. I understand. No love for the philosopher. For his many achievements, he was elevated to the status of a god at his death. The sage, Ficino said, Hermes the sage, was responsible for killing the giant Argus. Here we see the overlap between history and myth. Argus, also known as Argus Panoptes, was a legendary Greek titan said to have had many eyes, perhaps a hundred, such that there were always some wakeful as others slept. Argus was a servant of Hera who killed Echidna, the serpent-legged mother of monsters in Greek mythology. Anybody, you guys know Echidna? Mm, No, well, Sounds badass, though. Yeah, it does. I know the kind of the Hera thing a little bit, but not. Well, we're going to do this whole thing now. After Zeus became enamored with the nymph Io, his jealous wife Hera transformed Io into a cow, chained her to a tree, and then gave her loyal servant Argus Penoptes with his many eyes the job of keeping Zeus away from her. My disloyal husband is most anxious to mate again with his whorish nymph. May your wakefulness keep his sluttiness at bay. As you wish, my goddess. Zeus knew that Io would be birthing a line of descendants that would culminate in the great hero Heracles and was committed to mating with her any way possible. And so he gave Hermes the task of liberating her from Argus. Needs I must have this nymph. I'll be when she is less cow-like than she is at present. Go forth, Hermes, and slay the giant by whatever means necessary. Disguised as a shepherd, Hermes charmed all of the giant's eyes by playing his flute and telling stories until the giant was completely asleep. <clears throat> the first of my tales is a story of grass and how it grows long of a summer day. You say this is the first. 
How many tales have you brought, friend Shepard? Hmm, a hundred. Uh, suppose we skip to the 99th. Ah, yes. The story of how the clay doth bake in the sun and slowly harden. Or we could just pass the day in silence. I would not want to overtax your voice with the telling of so many tales. It is no burden. You must get awfully lonesome sitting under this tree with nothing to occupy your hundred eyes or normal number of ears but the wind and the clouds. The winds and the clouds are actually quite good company. Ah, that is story number 38. It was a mild and temperate day, and the wind moved the clouds across the sky with neither haste nor delay. Steadily they passed, making no formations worth noting. <sighs> is that it? And the wind made no sound. It was wholly uneventful passing of wind and clouds. Eventually, all of Argus's hundred eyelids closed over his hundred eyes, and as soon as he was asleep, Hermes cut off his head. Zeus descended and freed the nymph, and she ran off, still in cow form, running until she reached the Black Sea. There, she met Prometheus, who prophesied that she would be changed back and become the mother of heroes. Fleeing across the Ionian Sea into Egypt, she was visited by Zeus again, who changed her back, and at last they sexed and birthed. That's romance, kids. Amen. The myth's association with Hermes Trismegistus suggests a few significant things about him. First, that he is possessed of cunning and magic. Which is, I think, Jacob and Olivia. When you put them together, you have cunning and magic. Who is who? Well, we'll figure that out later. Obvious. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you're the cunning and I was the magic. Yeah, but... that's what I was going to say, too. Hermes does not conquer Argus by force, but rather by trickery and arguably enchantment. Second, Hermes is a liberator. His knowledge and cunning can set us free, serving as an agent in a process that will transform us from beasts into humans, elevating and ennobling us so that we too can sex and birth with Zeus. Oh, shit. We just have to stop being cows. Well, oh, I, mean, I love cows. You see that? See how the metaphor works? Yeah, I do now. I really get it. <laughs> and it gives you such joy. <laughs> okay. Hermes influenced a range of philosophers across traditions, including Giovanni Pico de Mirandola, the Rosicrucian Robert Flood, and perhaps most significantly, the doctor and alchemist Paracelsus. Renaissance occultists were a significant inspiration for the occult revival at the turn of the 20th century. The Rosicrucian Freemasons drew on Hermes as an ancient philosopher and sage, wielding his theories against modernizing Enlightenment philosophers. During the occult revival, Hermes was identified more as an alchemist in the tradition of Paracelsus and in this guise informed the practices of esoteric orders across Europe. And so, Hermes Trismegistus has moved through time to our modern age. There are a fairly wide collection of works attributed to Hermes, but the two most significant to his legacy are the Corpus Hermeticum and the Alscipius. The Corpus Hermeticum is framed by a conversation between a narrator and a higher being called the Man-Shepherd. 
Oh Not to God. be confused with the woman shepherd. Or the boy shepherd. Or oh. the non-binary shepherd, if we're... I want to be oh, inclusive. Oh, yeah. Right? There you go. That Those yeah. shepherds, though, not in this story. Wow. Mm. Well, that... I'm less interested now. <laughs> it's you, the you man like shepherd. You, it up like that, and now I'm... Oh, they weren't okay. that progressive back then. Mm. Yeah. But they'll get on board. They'll get on board. In, uh, like, a long-ass right. time. Much of the text uh, itself is a series of dialogues. Most of these dialogues are between Hermes as teacher and his student, Alscipius, or his son, Tat. <laughs> how, how did you get left off with a name like Tat? <laughs> Why wasn't he the fourth Hermes? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> he named his kids Hermes, Tit, and Tat. <laughs> the f- uh, it's Tat. It's just Tat. Tat's who gets to learn. Hermes yeah. divides his time between these students, pursuing different lines of thought depending on their interests. His teachings begin with creation. So, let's do some creation, shall we? Are you going to create something? We're, okay. We always, with the podcast, we're creating as okay. we speak. Thank you for that. After nature received the word of God, she copied heaven, or the cosmos by the means of her own elements and the birth of souls. These things were given form by a second mind with a capital M born from the original God mind, capital G, capital M. Does this sound at all familiar, Olivia? Oh, Gnosticism, I got it, I'm here. In Hermes' version of the metaphysical realms, there are two gods, much like in, as Olivia says, the Gnostic universe, except that, unlike the Gnostics, the second mind is not regarded as an evil demiurge, even though it is by definition not as perfect and good as the original god mind. The first god is the cause of all things, and perfectly good. Part of what allows this original God to be so good is that his only role is to bring the world into being and pervade existence. This God does not act. The creator God, also known as the God mind of fire and spirit and the good daemon, that does act. So in other words, you know, when you're like, oh, if God's all good, how come he brings hurricanes and how come he kills orphans and stuff it's just his plan (laughs) (laughs) but in hermes philosophy we don't get into this problem so much Mm. because the perfect all good god doesn't take action in this world that god doesn't even go to the trouble of creating the world because then we could be like well and how come there's i don't know slugs that seems unpleasant but not Slug theodicy. I don't know if theodicy gets into slugs. Slug theodicy. Honestly, the reading material I need. If anyone can hook me up out there. Thank you. Hermes does not have this issue because Hermes has got our good God who sort of like kicks off this creator God. And, you know, that good God is sort of like the seat of all being. And the creator God's actually doing all the work and the action. And this is the good daemon. So the good daemon. First rule of bu- first first order of business creates seven rulers to reign over creation. These immortals existed in a realm separate from nature. 
God's reason or logos leapt upward away from nature, leaving the downward aspects of nature mindless. So there's a kind of split in God as as the universe is being formed. We've got our seven rulers and now the God mind and nature with a capital N have split into separate quadrants. Mindless matter brought forth the animals of the air, the water, and the earth. The good daemon then created man in his own image, man, woman, and non-binary. I want to be clear, listeners. And allowed man to become a creator, him, her, or themselves. Yeah? yeah? You got me so far? Very yeah. gnosticism So, this immortal man, cop, capital immortal, capital man, existing in the heavens, was given authority over all of the mortal creatures who worshipped him. So all our mindless birds and fish and stuff. But he became entangled with the lower, moister natural yeah. world. It's Ew. moister down here. I feel that. It's pretty humid. <laughs> It's gross, but okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I had a visceral reaction to that, to be totally honest. He really said moist? I, you weren't just like I, fucking No, with I don't us? think I would have pulled in moist it. of my own accord. You say weird shit all the time. I don't know. It sounds like a weird adjective you'd pull up. <laughs> I don't. You said it's been humid. <laughs> He wished to subdue yeah, nature in full. I'm talking about the immortal man here. Wished to subdue nature completely and so descended to her. <laughs> and she then was oh, like, shit. no, and wrapped herself around him. <laughs> this is a power. I mean, yeah, this is power play. Proof plan to like stop someone. <laughs> well, what actually the result of that is, is us. We are both nature and man. So. The soul is basically what descended down to earth to control nature. And then the soul was enwrapped in nature, forming our physical selves. So we're partially immortal and we are partially mortal with our immortal self always pining downward to subdue the mortal and the mortal always pining upward for the immortal. Our physical self reaching upward to heaven and our uh, spiritual self seeking to exert control over our physical self. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of like the, yeah. in Gnosticism, the, what's it called? The spark, like the the hmm. light. What is it? I can't, that's not the right phrase. It's like You're asking the, wrong the inner spark that's like, it. almost like a little bit of God or in everyone kind of idea. Do you know, you know what I mean? Do you remember that from my episode? Never mind. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's say yes, though. Okay. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Let's talk about sex, shall we? Let's talk about... Okay. So about... The first men came in a set of seven, and all of them were hermaphroditic. So this is very gender-inclusive, Hell I think, yeah. this whole wow. scheme. Yeah. So seven hermaphroditic men, and then the good daemon, or created god, split the man into male and female and encouraged them to reproduce. Boo. So we got seven hermaphroditic. <laughs> Should have just left it for what it was. <laughs> yeah, it would have been- It was much easier. Yeah. They still could have been like, reproduce, but just like, yeah. have way more fun with it. Right? <laughs> Honestly, I think the world would be a lot better if- no, I don't think I should say that. I think I agree. You don't even have to. Okay. All right. Increase ye in increasing, and multiply in multitude, ye creatures and creations all. And man that hath mind in him, 
let him learn to know that he himself is deathless and that the cause of death is love, though love is all. This is the paradox of Hermes' theology. Sex is regarded as good, or at least a necessary aspect of human life, but bodily pleasure is, in a quasi-Buddhist fashion, labeled as a distraction from the spirit. Not evil necessarily, but distracting from our spiritual goal of, you know, enlightening ourselves. Wherefore, child, making is a very great and most pious thing in life for them who think are right and to leave life on earth without a child, a very great misfortune and impiety. And he who hath no child is punished by the daemons after death. You're about to punish me because my womb is not pushing out babies? I'm not, I'm not Are they my freaking distant family? This is ridiculous. I'm just saying what Hermes said here. All right. Okay, but like, what if you like, adopt is that kind of like counter yeah i think you'll be all right like, yeah you can adopt okay. i feel like you'll you could slide in on a technicality there i hope so so <laughs> the point i'm trying to make here is we are supposed to bang in hermes world sex is not mm-hmm. anathema to our existence so the question of sex is actually an important one not just for the survival of the species or your roommate's toxic relationship with her boyfriend It gets at the heart of a key difference between Hermes and the Gnostics. The Gnostics follow an ascetic path by which all things of this earth are wrought by an evil demiurge, as Olivia's been hinting around, and are inherently evil. Humans seek to transcend evil by transcending earthly things. So let's talk a little bit about Gnosis in Hermes' world. In the cup, which is a piece of the uh, Corpus Hermeticum, it's called the cup, Hermes explains a chapter. It's a chapter title. Hermes explains to his son Tat that God gave humans reason, but not the higher mind with a capital M or inner knowledge of the spirit. This God sent down separately in a cup, which humans can choose to drink from or ignore. But in the cup, a kind of schizophrenia sets in again, sort of like he's of two minds about sex. It's distracting from the spirit, but we also need to have it because we all should be, you know, banging out some kids. This cup ideology also gets a little mixed up. The mind, Hermes says, embraces all things, things on the earth, things in the heaven and things above the heaven, if there be aught. Then in the same book, Hermes explains that humans can't give themselves both the things of the earth and divine things. We must choose body or spirit, and while one waxes, the other wanes. Can't go both directions at the same time. So he's sort of playing all sides of this question. For things subject to birth abound in passions, birth in itself being passable. But where there's passion, nowhere is there good. And where is good, nowhere a single passion. For where is day, nowhere is night. And where is night, day is nowhere. But seeing that the sharing in all things hath been bestowed on matter, so doth it share in good. In this way is the cosmos good, that in so far as it doth make all things, as far as making goes, it's good. But in all other things, it is not good. 
Passion is an earthly experience, a connection to mortal and passable things, and therefore passion is bad. But goodness has been bestowed on matter except to a lesser degree than it exists in the higher spheres of the cosmos. So the physical world also has its own inherent goodness. And the act of generation or creation is a tremendous good making children, having sex. But the fact that it propagates more mortal things is not good, because we want more spiritual things, not more mortal things. Yeesh. So, we should be having sex, and perhaps even enjoying it, but we should also be striving for the higher good of the spirit. If we embrace earthly things with our spiritual mind, with a capital M, we should embrace the good in them, acknowledging with our reason that there is also less good or even bad in them as well. The point is, unlike the Gnostics, Hermes acknowledges that there is good at every level of creation. God pervades all things. Only at the level of the originating God is there pure good, and insofar as God is also pure spirit, we should strive to liberate ourselves from our connection to the material, but that is not to detract from God's place in it and the goodness that exists in earthly life. So it, it is, it's, a, it's a complex, mixed story that Hermes is telling here about where good and evil reside in the relation to the physical and the spiritual world. Again, the parent is the children's cause, both on the father's and the mother's side, only by sharing in the good's desire, that doth pour through the son. It is the good which doeth the creating. Let's talk about the afterlife. You guys both there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Okay. I'm just... I didn't have anything to say. I was just listening. I got you. All right. <laughs> I was pretty yeah. into it. <laughs> okay. All right. Like I don't want to, don't let me yeah. th- interrupt your flow here. Okay. So let's talk about the afterlife. <laughs> By focusing on God and goodness, we can move ourselves along in a hierarchy of reincarnations. Thus, some that were creeping things change into things that in the water dwell. The souls of water things change to earth dwellers. Those that live on earth change to things with wings, and souls that live in air change to men, while human souls reach the first step of deathlessness changed into demons. And so, they circle to the choir of the inerrant gods, for of the gods there are two choirs, the one inerrant and the other errant. And this is the most perfect glory of the soul. The path is up. The path down is not so clear, though. Hermes says that man can descend toward the creeping things if he lives in vice, but he also says that humans cannot be changed into beasts. Once they attain a human soul, a human soul will always demand a human body at its reincarnation. This is, incidentally, very similar to Helena Blavatsky's concept of human reincarnation. If humans turn away from goodness and live in vice, they are punished by the daemons or spirits in the transition between this life and the next. So you, you get to, you're not going to get knocked down on the reincarnation, but boy, they're going to whip the crap out of you while they've got your soul. Hmm. So, so like, it's in, in like an in between. Between like yeah, in limbo. Place between yeah, they beat up okay. on you in limbo, so, tickle you and stuff. So it's like, so, so hypothetically, it's like a waiting room that you're sitting in, and then these things just come in and just start beating the crap out of you. <laughs> yes. And then there, then your number pops up, and it's like, oh, all right, bye. Hey, yeah, start over. <laughs> yep, that's how it is. Yeah, 
You're huh. sitting quietly. There's like Muzak in the background. Then the door opens <laughs> up and all these little demons run in and start tickling you and poking you with hot things. For at least like oh. a thousand years. Well, I mean. That's uh, like. I don't know how long. No, I'm like legit. If you're in my reformations class, like normally if you were in purgatory, it was like for at least a thousand years. Like when they first made purgatory. Do you get whipped in purgatory? I thought you just sort of sat there. No, and this about is how like the been. like OG uh, purgatory idea when like not all of Catholicism was even like following purgatory. Mm. See, I didn't learn about all of that. So, you know. This was a boring class. Well, it was interesting to me, but mm. whatever. When mind becomes a daemon, the law requires that it should take a fiery body to execute the services of God. And entering in the soul most impious, it scourgeth it with whips made of its sins. All of us become fire at death because fire is the natural vehicle of the soul, that is, before our reincarnation. And if we've been good, we can enjoy a closer ascension to God. But if we've been bad, it's fiery torment for our fiery selves. There's a sense in Hermes that bad behavior is its own torment insofar as it separates us from God, a familiar sentiment across many traditions. But if we're serious about gnosis, true enlightenment, what should our approach be? The answer comes to Hermes in a dialogue with Mind, with a capital M. This Mind seems to be the good daemon creator himself. The fact that Hermes is receiving these teachings from a higher source, rather than being the higher source giving the teachings to somebody like Tat, means that we are dealing with a more advanced teaching than the other dialogues in the corpus. You got me? Make then thyself to grow to be the same stature as the greatness which transcends all measure. Leap forth from every body, transcend all time, become eternity, and thus shalt thou know God. Conceiving nothing is impossible unto thyself. Think thyself deathless and able to know all, all arts, all sciences, the way of every life. Become more lofty than all height and lower than all depth. Collect into thyself all senses of all creatures, of fire and water, dry and moist. Think that thou art at the same time in every place, in earth, in sea, in sky, not yet begotten in the womb, young, old, and dead in after-death conditions. And if thou knowest all these things at once, times, places, doings, qualities, and quantities, thou canst know God. This, to me, reveals a lot about Hermes' metaphysics. The world is not evil, nor are our earthly pleasures, but our attachment to the world and our pursuit of immediate pleasure makes us small. Our approach to Gnosis must be expansive, expanding knowledge, expanding feeling, expanding space and time. It is a grand embrace of life, both matter and spirit, in all its complexity. This embrace is an act of great confidence. The unenlightened human being believes that this life is all there is, and that it is not possible to know all through God. But if thou lockest up thy soul within thy body, and dost debase it, saying, I nothing know, I nothing can, I fear the sea, I cannot scale the sky, I know not who I was, who I shall be, what is there then between thy God and thee? 
This is what makes Hermes an occult icon. The individual can aspire to know God through mystical vision that requires attempting to see through the eyes of the God mind. Losing yourself to your own subconscious is an important part of this path. Hermes talks about God visiting the student in dreams. The body's sleep, he says, is the soul's awakening. The path is very much within the reach of the aspirant, and there are steps to take to move onto the path. But the visions revealed through God are an occult secret. Whene'er I see within myself the simple vision brought to birth out of God's mercy, I have passed through myself into a body that can never die. And now, I am not as I was before, but I am born in mind. The way to do this is not taught, and it cannot be seen by the compounded element by means of which thou seest. The other major hermetic text the Asclepius. Nice. There you go. <laughs> I've been saying it with confidence. I think totally wrong. Uh, visits very similar themes, but it in the Asclepius. Asclepius. I feel like you nailed it the first time. You were so confident. I don't think I did at all. I think I just transposed some letters to make it easier to say. It was very confident, anyway. though. <laughs> it visits very similar themes, but it introduces a new idea, and one we like quite a bit here on this podcast, Apocalypse. <gasps> we do. We love her. <laughs> we stand the apocalypse <laughs> here. Oh, yes, she uh, she is a she. Are you joking? She's a she. Okay, I'm all right. I'm open to that. Yeah. The Asclepius predicts a doomsday in which men lose their habit of piously praising God and maintaining the cosmos through their praise. The gods abandon the world and everything falls apart only to be restored later. Much of hermetic writing seems to mirror Christian thought, albeit not closely enough for purists. Augustine, for example, was not a fan. In addition to revelation-like apocalypse, Hermes' single god at the heart of creation mirrors the Judeo-Christian concept, at least in outline. And the lack of an evil demiurge gives Hermes a leg up on the Gnostics, who the Christians famously hated. But the god-mind created by the central god and the seven immortals descended from the god-mind get to be just a little bit too fancy for Christian orthodoxy. Not to mention Hermes' reliance on reincarnation as the fundamental mechanism of the afterlife, not very Christian. Other texts identified with Hermes include the Kore Cosmu, which marks humans as formerly rebellious spirits sent to earth to atone for their transgressions against god. You got this? It's like an angel's fallen from heaven thing. That's all of us. Nice. We're, we're the fallen angels? We are the, yes, we're them. That's like a hmm. CW show right there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on that. Call them up. Put that treatment <laughs> together. Hmm. Hermetic writing also points in the direction of, oh, iatromathematics. This is a tough episode. Wow, you nailed that though, right? Yeah. You know, who knows? Iatromathematics <laughs> is the application of astrology to medicine and was popular in the 16th century. Well, that's kind of fun, though. So, in other words, you would use your star chart to figure out what's going on with your knees, why that knee well, hurts. what I do now. Okay, I actually... I think I just read about that, actually, very briefly. Did but you really? I think they brought that up in Bathory for, like, a brief second, one of the things I was reading, but it wasn't, like, a lot. Interesting. But it it had to do with, like... 
I guess her having or like epilepsy or something maybe, or it was the insanity thing. I can't remember, but they brought that up. But I don't remember that word. That's crazy. Well, this is it's our basic like alchemical notion, right? As above, so below. Man as microcosm correlates to the cosmos or the macrocosm. The planets rule over men and their body parts. Certain star gods are responsible for certain ailments, and there is a corresponding pharmacology to treat those ailments. Hermes is regarded as the founder of this branch of thought. So you got your foot star god, and that star god, he's got particular plants that you can apply if you're having, I don't know, tingling toes. Hermes is also credited with contributing to pharmacology, magic, and alchemy. In a book attributed to Cyrenus, the author claims that he received the text from Hermes who received it from the angels. It lists the treatment of various ailments using ointments derived from animals, plants, or minerals. Hermes is regarded as the author of the Greek magical papyri from Egypt containing rituals and spells for prophecy, love charm, self-protection, harm of enemies, and catching thieves. Remember that Hermes is the thief god? Also merchant god. He's on both sides of that. Wow, he really <laughs> monopolized the himself. whole thing. <laughs> He's got the whole, yeah, he didn't want to miss anyone. Huh. And Zosimus claimed that Hermes was a spiritual teacher opposed to magic. Hmm. Weird. Humans should focus on knowledge of themselves and God, not magical practices in Zosimus's reading. These teachings are spiritual alchemy, alchemy along the lines of what the Rosicrucians would advocate, a spiritualization or elevation of the human from matter to spirit. The disparate nature of these sources often creates paradoxes as we're hearing, right, as we go. If Hermes was a magician, why would he write against the practice of magic in his alchemical texts? How do we reconcile his view that human souls were an extension of God in the Corpus Hermeticum with the concept of human spirits as rebellious in the Core Cosimu? These mysteries obscure the great sage within the mists of time and remind us that our unitary concept of a single Hermes Trismegistus is a construction, a myth. But... He's a myth that inspires and pushes us along on our search for God, which is why he is a myth we keep on sharing. Reminds me of like, not like he reminds me of King Arthur at all, but like the whole legend. Like it just reminds me in essence of it. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. The lore. Yeah. yeah that there are different stories and sometimes they contradict each other and some people regard him as real yeah. some people regard him as made up yeah i think it's a reasonable comparison which you said that he's kind of what's um where like astrology has kind of come from him in a way well you know the gods toth and hermes are regarded as you know astrological his specific yeah. you know hermes trismegistus in the writings his specific contributions mm -hmm. tend to be more in this medical astrology area that's cool that's was just something that i've been very much into for a while and i didn't realize like one of the main like figures that has kind of influenced it so hmm. yeah he's in the mix yeah. I mean, whenever you're dealing with alchemy, astrology is often not too far away because there's this yeah. effort to unite heaven and earth, you know, cosmos mm -hmm. and, and the terrestrial. Let's gong on into that order of confessors. Chase S. appreciates our labor of love. Aww. He knows the... <laughs> Yeah, isn't that nice? He notes the vast knowledge of yours truly and the inquisitive antics of mine truly. 
And by that, I mean you guys. Your mind, <laughs> I was like, truly. what? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I'm trying to figure out how to say that. Yeah. Uh, he called this <laughs> engaging, accessible, and hilarious. Oh, wow. I like those. Even I like <laughs> I accessible. I don't know about hilarious, <laughs> but I appreciate, appreciate the thought. It's a stretch, but it's all right. <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah, it's debatable amongst our comments. I'll give him engaging and accessible. I think that's right on. I'll give him the whole thing. Chase, we very much appreciate your yeah. thoughts. Um, very encouraging. Yeah. Uh, also, Annabelle Crump calls us a little bit goofy, but a lot insightful. Well, she's a lot right. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, I mean, that was my way of saying thank you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I feel like these are very accurate. Both Chase and Annabelle are giving. De- they really they they took the time. They gave detailed reviews. Yeah. Um, and we really appreciate the time they took because it lets folks know the if they would enjoy the podcast. You know, they enjoyed it, and they said, you know, these this is what it's like. Mm-hmm. So if you don't like this kind of thing, like, get out of here. Right. Yeah, and get out of here. <laughs> Because uh, it's not for everyone. I mean, we we are a very unique, not ve- we're pretty unique. We're a pretty unique podcast, yeah. Um, experience, right? So, yeah, I, I think it's nice uh, when folks who like us point out the things they like about us <laughs> and are specific about it. We need validation. Um, we get too, too many specifics from the haters. Arena on Facebook found us on Spotify, sending us kind words. Also, peace. Oh. Thank you, Arena. I love yeah. that. Ken Dietz calls us a guilty pleasure. Oh. Gives us an A plus plus. Oh shit! That's exactly how I feel about you all. Oh, so oh. I, I feel can like see it. We, the A plus <laughs> plus. We haven't got one of those in a while. I I like that. Oh it's, yeah, I'm you're it's right. Back. I like had a. Yeah. I forgot for a second. It's been so long. Ken brought it back. Thank you, Thanks, Ken. Ken. <laughs> uh, Into Forever sent us some very kind words. Wow. I want to mention Into Forever. This, uh, Into Forever is an educator with a clothing brand. Uh, and this clothing Ooh. brand, you can look this look them up on Instagram. They have some very uh, witchy and, and satanic uh, things going on in, in the aesthetic there. So check it out. Uh, and I, I still have to, to check out Dreaming in Neon, but I do want to give oh. them a quick shout out too, uh, because they <laughs> do fun. alchemy inspired music. Oh, wow. What the hell? I love that. What? Yeah. So uh, please, uh, listeners, friends, confessors, if you are doing uh, occulty things, you know, creative things, let us know. We are yeah. happy to share what you're up to. You know, it builds builds community with with folks and and uh you know if folks are listening to this podcast that means they're interested in non-commercial products right you know, <laughs> yeah. things off the by that i don't mean like things for sale but i mean like things off the beaten path like they're not just trying to go to abercrombie or, or is that still a thing i don't know i don't did any of us ever American shop Eagle? there no, maybe malls yes, are dead Anyway, they, they're interested in, in uh, do-it-yourself <laughs> entrepreneurial enterprises, right? If, if you're listening to this podcast, you must be at least open to the idea. Uh, so if you are such a person who has your entrepreneurial occultiness out there in the wide world, let us know. Uh, we, we love to connect with you and, and share news about what you're up to. Finally, Samantha gave our O'Brien episode a shout out on Facebook. Uh, also, Annie Forcrows, uh, with whom uh, I have had the pleasure of having some, some fairly smart exchanges. Uh, enjoy uh, engaging with Annie. Uh, did some sharing on the Instas. Uh, so uh, again, 
this is the best thing for us. Um, it's, it's, we love the reviews. Well, the best thing for us is to be a patron. <laughs> so <laughs> I just, keeps the lights on. But beyond that, uh, yeah, sharing wor- word of mouth is, is the best advertising, you know, all the, you know, ads in the world do not amount to a hill of beans compared to a, a personal recommendation or, or yeah, just bringing up an episode and, and discussing the topic on, on your social media or wherever you're at in the wide world, sharing your thoughts. Uh, so we are very grateful for that. And, uh, we, we will definitely reach out to you. We are not, um, so large at this point that we can't reach out to uh, respond to most people. So we we're pretty good at, I think Olivia, right? We're pretty good at getting back to folks. Yeah. If, if not the main one, then my, yeah, whoever. Yeah. If you're listening to this in five years, uh, so it's currently 2020. <laughs> if you're listening to this in five years, we are either too large to respond to every message and apologize or have quit doing this. <laughs> That's just a message to the the <laughs> listeners five years from now. Not the ones now. <laughs> no, right now we got you. We're, You're in this. We, we, we can probably respond. Yeah, we respond to not all, but most of our messages. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs> I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such time as we get together and do it again. We have the voices of Lucy Bond, Brandon Walls, and Sean Priest. They've been uh, real, uh, uh, what, what is it called? Go-tos useful? for us lately. Oh, yes. They've been very useful. <laughs> useful. <laughs> standbys, that's what I'm looking for. They've yeah. been real real standbys for us lately. Um, so <laughs> our, our love to them for their excellent work as always. Joining me around the table, I have Olivia Literal, our Grand Master of the Order. Hello, guys. Remember, we have merch. Good day. Oh, yeah, merch. <laughs> We're way beyond the plugs now. I this know. Is the end That's of the why episode. I just thought I'd throw it into my goodbye sneak it for in some reason. <laughs> we'll push it next time. <laughs> Jacob Wheatley, our Knight of the Dangling Serpent. Yeah, good night. <laughs> Who's currently good wearing day. an Occult Confessions t shirt, right? Yeah, that is exactly why I brought you know, it up. I'm not joking. I actually Are am. Are you right really? Now. <laughs> That's why I said I it. I knew. <laughs> it's it's actually no like no, this is gonna sound fake, but they're actually pretty comfortable shirts say, that I just kinda wear when I'm you, chilling around you my room. You would wear it under your work uniform, <laughs> it sounds right? So fake. I yeah. would. Yeah. So whenever I would go to work, I had to wear like all it's black just... and underneath of a black button up shirt, I would wear a black t shirt, which happened to be it. So I would casually just like flash it to the people who would come in to the I bar. love how this did turn into another plug anyway. It's like an infomercial. It did. It really it did. is. Refuse to participate in this infomercial at the end of my podcast. Call now and you'll... Hey, hey, didn't you ask if I was wearing it? I did, yeah, or he did. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. We'll talk to you next time. We're, we've got more Bye. alchemy for you next round. We'll be talking about the many faces of Dr. Faustus. Ooh. Ooh. Wow, that was weird. Okay, it was. <laughs>